0: Last night, we just all ended up on, like, cloud nine, you know, with Jesus. So, like, I don't know about you, but it took me, like, two hours to wind down. And then it's like, so I'm going to bed, like, I don't know, 11 o'clock or midnight or something. And then I'm thinking, like, of course, this morning it's like, okay, we've been talking about fasting this week. And at the same time, another hour of sleep. This just comes, works together really, really well for a perfect morning to skip breakfast. So, I understand. It's, it's great. So, here we are. Without breakfast for some of us this morning. Woo! Maybe because we're fasting. Maybe just because we wanted to sleep. Either way, God will count it, I guess. Uh, one of, my, one of my, uh, my prayer mentors in D.C., he's 80, uh, 87 years old. His name is Dick Simmons. I pray with him a lot. And, um, man, find an older person to pray with. And know how no matter how boring it feels to pray with them, Keep showing up. Something powerful happens when the generations come together to pray together. It's just, man, my, 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 my. Whatever they're praying for, just say amen. Yes, do that, you know? And watch what you'll start reaping their prayers in your life. It's amazing how it works. But anyhow, Dick Simmons once told me, he's like, you know, Jason, if you fall asleep, I'll pray. And just say amen when you wake up, and God will count it. That was... (laughs) That was comforting for me. Um, we do try to stay awake when we pray um, because, you know, Jesus in the garden, uh, can't you, you know, just stay awake for one hour to pray? And uh, Psalms 134 has a great, great uh, strategy for prayer in the middle of the night. You know, like the book of Psalms is basically sort of the, the songbook that came out of David's tent, David's tabernacle. That's kind of why it's in the Bible. It was this compilation of all these songs they would sing. And... Um, Psalms 134 is a song for the night watch. It, said, it says, Bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who minister to the Lord in the house of the Lord by night. And it says, Lift up your hands in the sanctuary. And uh, it's just two verses. Psalms 134 is this little psalm. Uh, it says, and it says, um, ble- it says uh, May a blessing in Zion be for those that keep the night watch. And I think, man, it's just a great prayer strategy for those that are up in the middle of the night trying to stay awake praying, is to lift your hands to the Lord. It's just almost like practical, okay? God, we love you. And just putting yourself in that place of exercising yourself to stay awake in the middle of the night. Okay, so yesterday, back to this is a football. Yesterday we went through the four R's. Can we say them again? Repent, receive, rebuke, replace. All right, so someone came up to me afterward and said, hey, like, When we rebuke the enemy, like we have to fill that place with the Holy Spirit, you know, or like seven more will come in. Well, that's what we did when we replaced. We didn't necessarily say, Holy Spirit, come in, fill my life. But, you know, if you have a spirit of heaviness on you, you probably never actually use the words, Spirit of heaviness, come and come into my life right now. Probably was you actually just aligned yourself with a lie at some point, right? And then all of a sudden, like there's this this heaviness that has its claws on your back. So, like, probably very few of us ever, like, made a pact with the devil or said, like, demons, I want you to really just rest on me. I want heaviness. I want darkness. I want to be sad and depressed. Probably none of us had that prayer meeting, right? But a lot of us probably at some point we said something like, man, I'm so stupid or something like that, right? And so so what we—so— Whoever it was that came out I forget who it was, came up to me and said, hey, we need to make sure we replace at the end. Yes, exactly. That's why we replaced with all the truth, right? So as we align ourselves with the truth and as we replace with, I am a child of God, I am forgiven, I declare, I have faith, what we're doing is we're aligned with the confession of our mouth. Remember, our words are powerful. The power of life and death is in the tongue, and the book of James says that the tongue is a rudder where your whole life will be steered by that. You want to know the quickest and easiest way to turn your whole life around? Change your speech, and your whole life whew, will go a different direction. Right? Start speaking words of life. And so, um, so last night we were declaring at the end, and this is why we have to replace because we're because we're essentially what we're doing is saying, Holy Spirit, come fill us, right? Fill that place that we've, of where we just kicked the devil out. Now, we, Holy Spirit, we're inviting you into that room, and when we align with His truth, the Holy Spirit comes in. Does that make sense? Okay, so repent is very important. Receive is very important. Or guess what? You'll walk around with shame, right? So we have to receive that Jesus has forgiven us. And then rebuking the enemy is definitely important because that's where you renounce the past, you rebuke the devil, you put him out of your house. Man, like, fire that guy. (laughs) Send him to the unemployment office, never to return, right? So rebuking the devil, get him out of your life, and then obviously replacing with the truth and inviting the Holy Spirit with his truth into that place. Amen? Okay, let's do it again. Repent, receive, rebuke, replace, repent, receive, rebuke, replace, repent, receive, rebuke, replace, repent, receive, rebuke. All right, we got it. Okay, so... Um, I really I really am hoping that after I leave here next week that you, that you as a school can take on a culture of joyful repentance. And really like when you wake up in the morning like um you know like your car has a little check engine light on the dashboard like I just pray that, that the Holy Spirit will give you awareness of your own heart that when the check engine light goes on on your heart and you suddenly you hear that lie Or you're like, you know what? I'm not in joy right now. I'm not in peace. Holy Spirit, why? Oh, okay. This morning when I got up, there was an old sin pattern that kicked in. Go to your buddy. Hey, buddy. Listen. This just happened this morning. And actually, I got a phone call from my mom last night. It totally triggered me. My check engine light went on, and I wanted to go back to that place of of self Pity where I used to wallow, but I know that's not what God created me to do. So can you just like lead me out? And you're, and everybody goes like, Yeah, come on, all right, let's do this. Let's do freedom. Let's get you out. Okay, in Jesus' name, right? And just that you would grow in the knowledge of Christ, right? In just the power of the gospel setting you free. And so it really is like it's just the fundamentals of of the gospel working itself out in the place of community. So this is, okay, this is an example of how it worked out in our community. So we were hosting a YWAM team, a bunch of young people came in town, and um, at this point, we had a house of prayer in the inner city of Washington, D.C. Like, it was in the hood. Um, You stepped outside the, the back door, and immediately, like, there's drug deals going on. Like, it's crazy. Like, shady stuff is happening at the we, there was this convenience store across the street that was painted purple on the outside. So we called it the Shady Purple because it was always shady, right? And uh, so it was the real deal. And so this, this team comes in, a bunch of young people, just your age. And so we just went back to this as a football and started with the fundamentals. And we, you know, taught the four R's. And so, but we, there was a lot of freedom that had to be done in, in this own crew so, like, we went through freedom stuff, repented of a bunch of stuff. We're blazing, and it's like, okay, this afternoon, we're going to go out to the streets, and we're going to start ministering to people. We're going to put this into practice, we're going to go share the gospel, right? So so I, uh, I pray for these this whole crew, and then um, I send them out two by two, or so I thought. So they all go out, like, twos, in twos and threes, just Go out in the streets, knock on doors, talk to people, find people, just go with the Holy Spirit, go with boldness, go with faith. God's going to do something. You know, every single time we go out for outreaches, we always bear fruit. We never come back without a testimony. Like, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. It's just for the lack of going. Like, I'm sorry, but America is not hard ground. Just It's just for the lack of going. Go out. Do outreach. See what happens, right? And so... I send them all out the back door, and about two minutes later, this one guy, Ben, comes back through, back through the, the doors, comes back in the house of prayer. I'm in my office. It's like up on the balcony, the second floor, kind of like you'd be back there. Ben comes in, so he's in the prayer room all, all by himself at this point, point. and he's pacing back and forth, and I can tell he's just, he's got this angst in him, you know? And all of a sudden, He explodes. I repent for the fear of man. I repent for fearing man and not you, God. I don't want to be afraid of people. Jesus, thank you that you forgive me. Thank you for forgiving me for the fear of man. I receive your forgiveness. Fear of man, I rebuke you. Get out of my life. I don't want you anymore. I declare that I fearlessly will proclaim the gospel as I should. I'm not afraid of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not afraid of man. And I'm going to go out with boldness today. And I'm going to lead people to Jesus. And he half kicked, half threw, like boom, threw open the back door. And he ran back out in the streets. <laughs> About an hour and a half later, everybody else came back except for Ben. Ben's nowhere around. So we like I don't know what we did. We just kind of kept going on in our day and about an hour and a half later like this little out- outreach exercise was supposed to be like an hour and a half long and Ben made it like 3 or 4 hours long. Ben comes back in the door and he's beaming. Shiny face. Ben went out the back door went around the corner, went to the first house he saw, walked up, knocked on the door, said, hey, I'm Ben, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. They invited him in, he sat with them and explained the gospel and talked about Jesus for the next three hours and led two of them to the Lord. Yeah, right? And so, as and the reality is, you guys, if Ben didn't get free, those other two people wouldn't get free. But the reality was, is Ben got free, and so he was able to then lead the others in the four R's of repentance into life, and then they gave their life to Jesus, and they received freedom, right? And so it's really, like, the gospel can really speed up, and we can really bring in a harvest really fast if we just go back to this is a football and get out there and do it, Right? And whatever we find, the check engine light in our hearts, like, whatever that thing is, that's fear of man. I know that's not what God has for the church. So I'm going to walk it through. I'm going to repent. I'm going to receive freedom. And I'm going to get on with life, right? And I'm going to be a minister of the gospel. So, okay. Woo! Fun story, huh? All right. Okay, this is just another fun story that I need to tell you just to kind of set up this morning. So um, I didn't really make a movie But I'd like to think that my intercession birthed the movie. Has anybody ever seen the movie Sully? About the plane that went down on the Hudson River? You guys are familiar with that plane. If you didn't see the movie, there was this thing where an airplane um, ran into a flock of geese in New York City. And then then Captain Sully landed it on the Hudson River. No one died, right? Okay, this is what happened. Just a couple weeks before that, the Lord had spoken to our community. I woke up one morning. And with this, I just felt this sense in my heart from the Holy Spirit, you need to go to New York City and spend a week of intercession in New York City and specifically pray over the rivers, the Hudson. And I'm like, what in the world? I get to breakfast. At this point, my wife and I were living in a community house with about 15 other youth and young adults. My wife and I lived in the basement with our, at that point, three children. Um, No, two children at that point. And, um, And then the top floors were... Floor for the guys, floor, floor for the ladies. And um, that morning at, over breakfast, uh, Joanna came down the steps. She's like, Jason, it's so crazy, but I had a dream last night that I passed you on the on the steps of our house, and you had a 'I Love New York t-shirt on. She's like, does that mean anything? I'm like, man, I think I'm supposed to go to New York. So we ended up taking a crew of our people up to New York City for a week of intercession, and the last day that we were there, um, we went to the The Hudson River. If you go like further north of the city, there's this pier. If sometimes you can you can zoom in on it on Google Maps, but there's this pier that goes the whole way out, kind of that you can walk out to like the middle of the Hudson River. And so there's there's this story in the book of um in the book of Second Kings fourteen and fifteen. I'm sorry, Second Kings 2, 19 to twenty two. just going to read it to you guys. This is going to kind of set up this morning a little bit. 2 Kings, 2 Kings 2, 19 to 22. 2 Kings 2. When you get there, then look for verse 19. I'm not a good multitasker. Talk and look through the Bible at the same time. Okay. Second Kings 2, 19 to 22. Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring to me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water, and he threw salt in it, and he said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. So what I love about this story is a well that had been bitter in all of its history suddenly begins to produce clean water out of the same spigot. Wow, right? So I knew this Bible story, and I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, sort of as an act of faith, get a pile of salt, go out in this pier, and just throw the salt in the river. And uh, my kids were with me, and they're like, yeah, give me another handful of salt, Dad. It was so much fun, you know. Intercession can be fun. It doesn't have to be, like, he- heavy and, like, right? <laughs> faith, right? Not formula. And um, so we're out there just declaring the Hudson River is a river of life. We declare it's a river of hope for New York City. We declare the Hudson River is couple weeks later, a plane goes down the Hudson River, and they're calling it the miracle of the Hudson. You guys, this happened right after Wall Street crashed at the end of 2008. There's businessmen in, in New York City that were committing suicide, and suddenly, Sully lands the plane in the Hudson River. No one dies, and there's this story of hope that cuts through all the late-night TV hosts and all, you know, just... Poof, And it's like a whole city got broken out of hopelessness. Just like that. Isn't that awesome, you guys? Our God is a good God. Our God is a good God. God can do anything. You will change history just by following his voice. So thank you, Lord. God does nothing without first announcing it to a prophet. And we got to go up and declare the Hudson River to be a river of life. And because we did, God used it. And It became a testimony to break a... The the demeanor of a city changed in a day because Sully landed the plane safely. And I believe it was a miracle in the Hudson. And even the newspapers, the news agencies had named it the miracle on the Hudson. Amen. A miracle, by definition, is when the natural course of things are suspended. What should have happened didn't happen. That's a miracle. And that's what they're calling it. Okay, so this morning we actually, I, I really feel like this morning what the Lord wants to do is set us free of hopelessness and disappointment. Woo! Come on, all right. I told you uh I told you about um this couple, the Dillons, Leroy and Jean, that came in to visit with my wife and I and really like they asked the hard questions. They took us deep. And that was like at the very end of the week, I had this battle with unbelief and led to freedom. What happened earlier in that week is there was this moment where I was just, we were there, we were working through some stuff, and I was, going, I was retelling probably one of the, most, the hardest, most painful seasons of my life. And I ended, with this, ended the story with this statement. And I said, and in the end... I ended up with nothing. And Jean, this fiery woman, she looked at me with this fire in her eyes. She's like, in the end, it's not the end. Jolded me, right? In the end, it's not the end. Who here has seen like Narnia or like, who has seen uh, Lord of the Rings? Okay. Lord of the Rings. Okay, so, and this, this analogy will, go, will stand true of all the other adventure films you've ever seen or adventure books you've ever read, okay? So I was on a plane going to uh, Kyrgyzstan a couple years ago. It's like a, a I don't know, 15-hour flight or something. It's a really long flight getting there. And the plane actually had the whole trilogy of Lord of the Rings, So I'm like, all right, this sets me up for a great plane ride. Put my headphones in, and I dive in to do the whole trilogy of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Totally should have been evangelizing the guy sitting beside me, but I was into Lord of the Rings, you know? So here I am, I'm in Lord of the Rings. And about halfway through the third film, this like, bing, revelation moment. I'm like, wait a minute. This is the same plot line over and over and over again. Frodo gets himself in a jam. Looks like he's gonna die. There's a twist of fate. He gets out. Frodo gets himself in a jam. It looks like he's gonna die. There's a twist of fate. He doesn't die. He gets out. A moment of peace. Frodo gets himself in a jam. It looks like he's gonna die. There's a twist of fate. He doesn't die. He gets out. There's a time of peace. And it goes over and over and over and over and over again. Now, the circumstances of the jam, the circumstances of you looks like you're going to die, the circumstances of deliverance are different in each round. But it's the same round over and over and over again. And every adventure film, every adventure book, this is the plot line, isn't it? So why do we watch them so? Because eternity is written in our hearts. The story resonates with what's inside of us. Because every day we wake up, we think we're going to die, it looks like we're in a jam, but then suddenly there's a twist of fate, we get out, and woo, right? And this is actually the story of all humanity. Wages of sin or death. but the gift of God is eternal life. We should have eternal misery in hell forever. And yet, there's a twist of fate. The cross, Jesus, the God-man, steps into our reality. In the midst of darkness, we have seen a great light. And suddenly, we get out. And we get to be, instead, eternity in ecstasy with the Lord forever and ever in eternal, infinite love. Isn't that awesome? The return of the King. <laughs> Woo! And so it works. One of the musicians, used to be on staff at IHOP, John Thurlow, he wrote a song. I know the end of the story, I come out of the wilderness, leaning on my beloved. I know the end of the story, I come out of the wilderness, leaning on my beloved. It's not the end of the story, you guys. Okay, let's look at some scriptures. Oh boy, where to start? okay let's go to luke luke 24. have you ever been disappointed with god no one's quite sure if they want to say yes or no because if it's sin we want to take it to the cross right and get freedom i have been disappointed with god and i call it sin and i take it to the cross and he forgives me Have you ever felt like you were a disappointment to others? Have you ever felt that? It's horrible, isn't it? It's a horrible feeling. And so the last thing as humanity we want to do to our great God is put him in those shoes. He's been nothing but good to us. He's been nothing but loving. He's been perfect in all of his ways. He's perfect in all of your ways. He's been a good, good father like, he's always been faithful. Oh my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so... He's, and then we would pin on him, you're a disappointment to me. Ouch. When we are kingdom of priests and we're here to, to bring a fragrant heart and to love our Lord and to bless the Lord on my soul, the last thing we want to bring into this relationship is that we're disappointed in you, Right? But the reality is, oftentimes, we're not really disappointed in God. We're disappointed in the way things in life turned out. And then we blame that on God when God had nothing to do with it, right? Um, Okay, let's take a look at Luke chapter 24. On the road to Emmaus, verse 13. I love this story. Ah. 24, 13 of the chapter of Luke. That very day, okay, this is the day, the first day of the week, Jesus just resurrected that morning. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Fill us with the spirit of revelation. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other? As you walk, and they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? Of course Jesus knew what just happened. He lived it. He's pulling on their heart. Come on, talk to me here. We have to, we have to pull it out of each other. What happened? Talk to me here, brother. What happened to you when you were young? Let's take that to the cross. Let's, let's do this stuff, right? Jesus, this is our bridegroom teaching us how to live. What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women, the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones! Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Again, it's an unbelief issue here, isn't it? Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, the word made flesh, right? He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village To which they were going, he acted as if he were going further. So now we know Jesus, the actor. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. At the communion table with Jesus, he takes the bread and he breaks it. When I grew up in Pennsylvania in Lancaster County for Thanksgiving, we had my grandma would like put name tags for everybody to sit at the table. So when we would go over to grandma's house, like all the kids, us cousins, we'd all like run around the big Thanksgiving table, like looking, oh, there, oh, and who am I sitting beside, and like that whole bit. There was was a spot at the table for me. You know how some of us have smartphones that can only get in with your thumbprint? Guess what? There's a chair at the communion table of God that only your buns can sit in. (laughs) Nobody else's buns can fit that chair. And one day there will be a wedding feast. And the Lord Jesus will come walking in We'll all be there. And Jesus will stand and offic- he will officiate over his own communion service once again. He will take the bread. This is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. Yes, Jesus. Thank you. He'll take the cup. This is the blood of my new covenant, poured out for you. Take and drink. Yes, Jesus. We'll take a drink. And there's a spot at the table with your name on it. And then your buns can fit that chair. And I can't wait for that communion service. It's going to be awesome, isn't it? We're going to be there. Amen. So Jesus breaks the bread. Verse 31. And their eyes were opened. Woo! Revelation. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. Just like that. Then they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? The burning hearts. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Praise God. Jesus, he broke the power of sin and death. He resurrected from the grave. First thing he does, he finds Mary. Why are you weeping? He heals her heart of grief. Second thing he does, he meets these dudes on the road to Emmaus, and he conquers disappointment simply by revealing himself. I was in it all, all along. It was, there was a plan, and I was there, right? Right? It's not the end of the story. It's never the end of the story. We can bring our junk, our disappointments to the Lord and say, the circumstances of my life have really disappointed me, but I know that you're good. Show me what you're going to do. Reveal yourself to me in the midst of the story of my life. I want to see you, Jesus. Where were you that day that da 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 Let him show you where he was. Let him show you who he is and all of that. And suddenly, I like how it says at one point, they're talking to Jesus about what had just happened. He's like, man, we we had hoped that he was, like, going to be the redeemer of Israel. Well, no, you're right. He was the redeemer of Israel. It's just that you didn't get it, right? And Jesus comes in reveals himself, and their hope is restored, and they go back to the 11 disciples. Listen, we saw him, and the, mo- the moment that our eyes were open was when we had a meal with them. It was amazing. Amen? So today, we, wanna, we just want to repent of all disappointment with God. Just take it all to the cross, let it there, and come away. God is good, and we know it's not the end of the story. Um, okay, hope in the places of pain Turn with me to Hosea chapter 2. This is an incredible, incredible prophecy. Hosea announces this word. And um, obviously all prophecies, everything, ultimately, yes, they're about the nation Israel— Yes, most of the prophecies in the Old Testament are about Israel and the redemption of the nation of Israel. But every single prophecy points to the man and is fulfilled and realized in the man, Jesus Christ. All of it points to the gospel in one way, shape, or form. And uh, because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets in the form of a man, the God-man, the word made flesh. Hosea 2, verse 14 and 15 Amazing prophecy for Israel, but this is a messianic prophecy also of the power of the gospel working itself out in our lives. The power of Jesus. Verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness. Now, this is a, the Hosea the prophet. He, as a prophecy over Israel, he was to go marry a harlot and bring her back. And so, Jesus, and so through Hosea, the Lord was, through the prophet Hosea, he was saying, Israel has played the harlot with me, but I am a faithful husband and I will bring her back to me. You watch, I will win her over. Jesus is a lover, he knows how to woo a bride and he will win her hearts over. He could come and conquer the world with his sheer power, but he's chosen to win her hearts through his patience and kindness so that we'll willingly serve him, not because he's just exercising his great might. Amen? Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness. He's alluring. Into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards. What? In the wilderness you get a vineyard? How does that happen? The power of Jesus. Only he can do that. Verse 15. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Acor a door of And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth. As at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. Okay, so... When Israel was in its youth as a nation, and they were just coming out of Egypt, what happened on the banks of the Red Sea right after they crossed? What happened? They didn't complain yet. The moment they crossed the Red Sea, what happened? They sang. Miriam, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider thrown into the sea. Hey, the Lord lives, you know. Salvation belongs to our God. They were singing on the banks of the Red Sea. They were celebrating. They were singing. Woo! And the Lord, through Hosea, is prophesying to Israel that he is going to answer just like he did in the days of their youth. And once again, we're she shall answer. So Israel will answer what the Lord does in the wilderness, what the Lord does in the valley of Achor. She then will answer with this song of celebration like in the days of her youth. Come on, you guys. For some of the ones that are on staff here with Elam, you probably remember days of dancing in your youth and singing just triumphantly. Just... Just like these guys last night, right? Guess what? Those days aren't over. Those days are not over. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen? Okay. The Valley of Achor. What in the world is that? Let's just talk about the Valley of Achor a little bit. Do you guys remember the, uh, when the Israelites went into the promised land, they first conquered Jericho by, t- by taking a walk? Woo! Simple obedience, right? They take a walk. They conquer Jericho according to the word of the Lord. God comes. Walls go down. The very next battle is the battle of Ai. And they got their heinies spanked. It was bad, right? Why did they get lose so dramatically with Ai? Because one man, the, na- the guy named Achan... When they conquered Jericho, everything was to be destroyed. Everything was to be absolutely, just completely demolished. Nothing was to be kept because that city was meant to be a tithe, and offering to the Lord going into the promised land. And it was all just going to be, to be destroyed. Instead, Achan took a bunch of the riches for himself and hid them in his tent. And because he did, the whole nation suffered a huge loss. The Valley of Achor was was named after Achan because it was in that valley where they were defeated. Has anybody else's sin ever caused you a great defeat in your life? Maybe it was abuse. Maybe it was whatever. Somebody else did something. You were completely innocent. But their sin caused your defeat. It's actually in that very place that the Lord, through the power of the cross... Wants to open up a door of hope. Jesus wants to meet you in that very place. And in that very place is actually where fresh singing will come. And rejoicing in the Lord. Because Jesus is going to open up a door of hope in that very place. So awesome, you guys. Okay, let's let's look at Exodus. When they just come out, when they just come out, let's look at that that, that season. We talked about the bitter well becoming sweet. Woo! Exodus. They celebrate with Miriam's song, the beginning of chapter 15, Exodus 15. They come out, they celebrate with Miriam's song. Miriam's song... Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Unbelief, selfishness, all this. Jesus has conquered it all, right? He's conquered all our sin. But what's he going to do with the sins that were done against us? Amen? He wants to open a door of hope. Verse 22 of chapter 15. The very next thing that happens. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah because Marah in Hebrew means bitterness. That's the footnote in my Bible. Verse 24. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And they cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. Woo! I love the poetry of this. When we take the cross, and we throw it into our bitter wells. Those very things become sweet. It's in the very valleys of Acor that the Lord meets us in those places. And we come out of it with a testimony and a song of God's healing and deliverance. And we sing like never before. And priestly ministry comes from our hearts like never before from that very place. Isn't that awesome? You guys, I want to just tell you... um, I mean, we all have pains. We all have stuff. I'm just going to highlight one. Um, I grew up in a Mennonite family, but my Mennonite family had a strange mixture of faith and unbelief together. And I honor my mother, and she's, she's very much different now than when she was when I was, obviously 30 years makes a difference. She's much different now than when I was a child. But as a child, uh, my mother had a very critical, judgmental demeanor at life. And I remember she would compliment me at one point and the next point I was criticized and I would be put down and can't you do better? And just there's always a sense of judgment. And then she was always sort of around the house sharing her opinion, opinions about others, you know, not even in our family, but like people that she knew. And, and I grew up just with this sense of whatever I do is constantly being judged. And, and just it wore my heart down. War, 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 war. So eventually that turns into like, father heart of God issues with me and my sonship and am I loved or am I judged by my performance all this stuff right finally there came the day where I threw the cross in the bitter well like Jesus in Isaiah 53 it says that you were wounded for my transgressions you were bruised for my iniquities and by your stripes I am healed I just came to Jesus and said Jesus what do you want to do with this What's he want to do with it? Heal it. That's what he died for. Again, the quicker we can just take everything to the cross, the quicker we can get out there and change the world. So I'm like, okay, Jesus, I'm going to bring this to you. I'm going to bring it to the cross. And he put a well in me of speaking words of life over people. I'm like, whoa. Speaking affirmation is amazing because it actually, like, creates things right in front of my eyes. Like, I can create encouragement in a brother and sister just by simply speaking God's truth over their life. It's pretty easy. And that's so much fun, you know? I'd, I'd, like, it's almost like I could speak and watch a tree grow in that moment. You know, and like, this is fun. And so, like, sort of as almost like going to the place of pain there with Jesus, suddenly he births in me the culture of the kingdom, which is affirmation, and I get to be a vessel of, of love and hope for other people. It's super glorious, Right? So I just began to pray. I said, Jesus, heal my heart. Kept throwing the cross. And every now and again, like, because of that pain of the past, like, for other people, they might be able to, to withstand a criticism, and they're okay. For me, at that point in my life, if some person even just, like, raised their eyebrow a little bit the wrong way, I'm like, oh, did I do something wrong? You know, it'd just destroy me, right? And, but slowly, like, Jesus, no, no, I'm not criticizing you. No, I died for you. I love you. And the, the Holy Spirit is speaking his truth into my heart. And I'm getting emboldened from the inside out. And the truth of Christ in me is being is transforming me. And the power of the cross is meeting that place of the valley of, of Acor in my own life. The power of cross is opening up a door of hope. And I'm finding myself finding a new affection for my mother and a new grace for my mom and a new honor for my mother. And and uh, and then it becomes my nephew's wedding. And now, in the Mennonite church, typically there isn't dancing, but, you know, now in the next generations of the Mennonite church, there might be some dancing at weddings, things like that. And so, after, uh, I guess it was um, Mitchell's marriage ceremony at the reception, there was a, the, the, you know, the mother-son dance, where the, the groom dances with his mom, and my sister, being my nephew's mother, Opened, like got grabbed the microphone and just opened it up. Like, hey, just anybody else wants to have, like, like son-mother dances? And so I'm like, my Mennonite mom. Like, come on, mom. Dance floor, let's do this. And she doesn't really know how to dance. I'm just like, just hold on to me. You'll be fine, right? And so, I mean, that's the cool thing about the dance with Jesus. We don't know how to do this. All we just need to do is hold on to Jesus, and we'll just dance it right out, right? So I'm just like, hang on to me, right? So you put your arm around like this. Okay, mom, put your hand here. Okay, I'm going to, okay. And we're just, you know, we're just doing this way, pretty easy, dancing with my mom. And all of a sudden, she says, Jason, you're a good son. I'm really proud of you. Plowed me out of that, out of that bitter well. Just came sweet water. My God is alive. By the power of the cross, anything can happen. Reconciliation between fathers and sons, and sons and daughters, and mothers and sons, and fathers and daughters. Anything can happen by the power of the cross if we'll just take it to the cross. This is the truth, right? So this morning, I just believe that the Lord wants to birth in us a hope, an unyielding hope both in the places of seeming disappointment and also in the places of our pain, the places where things happen to us. Other people's sin caused our, our defeat. And uh, I, wanna, I want us to turn to um, Colossians 1, verse 24, just because I want to root this back in Christ really good. There is... My wife and I, will pray over people for hours sometimes until we get them free. But we're just we're like, it's more important right now to get you free than do anything else. And so if we need to keep praying, you're not free yet. We're going to keep going. One night, um, all the women in our community were on the third floor of the house we were living. And um, it was just the women, my wife and about 10 other ladies. And they were praying for this girl named Mel. And Mel, we weren't, she wasn't breaking through. Like, there was, there was a bondage in her life. She was heavy. She didn't know what to do. And they were praying and praying and praying. They were leading her through 4 R stuff. Like, and, but she just wasn't getting free. And so, finally, they just all kind of just stopped trying, and they just started praying in the Spirit. They're praying in tongues. They're praying in tongues. Hours pass. It's now getting into the wee hours of the morning. And suddenly, one of the girls gets a word, Finally. Sometimes you just have to wait, you guys. You just have to be patient. Just keep praying in the spirit. I don't know why sometimes you have to wait, but it's just the way it is. Keep praying in the spirit. Keep waiting. The Lord will speak. Finally, one of the girls gets a word about hopelessness, and she's sitting in the other corner of the room. Like Mel's, like standing in the center of the room, and like two or three of the ladies have their hands on her, like with hands on, like praying in the spirit, and they're like rotating. Out of the ten of them, they're like, "We want to get our sister free." And so now they're rotating, because, like, Mel's, like, she's in the moment, so she's able to stand. But the others are, like, praying for a breakthrough. They're getting tired, so, like, they go sit down. And the other people come up, and they're praying in the spirit. So finally, Kayla, this girl sitting in the, in the corner of the room, she's up. Suddenly, just drops into her mind, hopelessness. She walks over, she goes, in the name of Jesus, she puts her hand on her head. In the name of Jesus, I break hopelessness. Boof. The power of God hits Mel, and she falls out in the spirit on the ground. <clears throat> Under the power of the Holy Spirit, and she comes out with a smile on her face. Delivered, right? Okay. Jesus wants to break hopelessness. Okay. Okay. Colossians 1. Now I rejoice uh, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. All right? So Paul is suffering on behalf of the church but he's rejoicing in it. Verse 25. Of which I became a minister to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Verse 27, to them, the saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You guys, when we're going through trials and stuff, the answer is not change my circumstances. The answer is form more of Christ in me because I know Christ can walk through the fire. He can walk through crucifixion, even death, and come out ahead. Christ in me, the hope of glory That is the mystery. I was watching a documentary earlier this week in one of my afternoon breaks on the persecuted church of Iran. The documentary is called Sheep Among Wolves. The reality is, if, if the underground church in Iran is caught by the Muslim culture, the governing authorities of the area, chances are they will take the men prison and they will rape the women. And so the cost of being a believer in Iran is very, very high. And so they they asked questions of the the women. Like, basically, they've had to have these talks as the Iranian church. Like, what are you going to do in the moment where the Muslim man storms in your house and rapes you because you're a Christian? What are you going to do in that moment? And these women, they said, in that moment. We will look into the face of Jesus and we'll say, Jesus, we offer our body to you as a living sacrifice. You're our beloved. That challenges me. What, what is that? That's Christ in me, the hope of glory, talking. Christ can go to the cross and he can suffer a million rapes. Jesus. Just gonna look into your face. You know what this feels. You died for the sin of the whole world. You felt it all that day. You didn't just feel the lashings of the moment. You felt the lashings of humanity for all of these thousands of years. You felt the heart pain, not just the rejection of that moment when they said crucify him, but you felt the heart the heart pain of the thousands of years of. Human rejection and abuse on God. The accusations that we've made against God over the years. Have you ever been misunderstood? It feels so bad, doesn't it? God has been, is the most misunderstood person ever. The accusations and the things we lobby at God are awful, right? This all gets thrown on Jesus on the cross. I will look in the face of Jesus. Okay, what about the men? And the day that you're on the beach and they're about ready to execute all of you for the gospel, I'll look in the face of Jesus and I'll offer up my body as a living sacrifice. Why? Because they know the end of the story. They know the end of the story. They know eternity. Christ in me, the hope of glory will carry me. This is our glimmering hope. When our hope is anchored in Christ and Christ alone. And when we're in the middle of trials and rough circumstances, we look into the face of Jesus and we say, we offer ourselves for you and the sake of the gospel. Whatever it means, I will ride it through with you, Jesus. Something good's going to come out of this. There's, in, in those instances, there's an inevitability of, of something good about ready to happen. I don't know if you've ever been in those circumstances where you're like, man, the way things are going right now, it's just inevitable. I just know my dad's going to leave my mom. I Just know it. I, it's not happening yet, but I can feel it. It's like, it's, you know, and you're like, you're almost, it's like, you're, you're in this expectation of awfulness, right? But by the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel, he wants to put in us a seed of hope that we begin to grow in a sense of inevitability of glory in front of us. This is going to turn out good. I just know it. You're going through the hardest time in your life, but deep down inside, you don't even need to turn on the Christian radio stations with all that stuff. Like you, just, you just, or, like, you know all the songs that are written like, oh, help me through this trial. I know you're good, God. Like, we need those songs to keep our hearts encouraged often, but God wants to put in us a seed that suddenly we don't even need those songs because we just know, uh, man, trials turn to gold. I'm in it. So you're walking through the trials, and you're like, man, I'm on a gold mine right now. Woo! In the Valley of Acor, there's a door of hope. I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. And, it, and it, something begins to grow inside you, you know? A couple years ago, the Lord was leading me on another 40-day fast, and I, I met with my family, and I said, listen, my kids are now old enough to know what a fast for dad beats for them. I mean, this one was high-priced because I said, hey, I feel like I'm supposed to do night watch for the next 40 nights. From 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., and really contend for breakthrough in the night watch, and my kids. So I'm going to be sleeping during the day, and my children are like, "We're not going to see Dad much for the next 40 days." But my children had already gone through living in the church and the hardship of that season, and it ended up being the most glorious season of our lives. God met us there; our our family bonded through that like nothing else. Our hearts. So eventually, Cadence, my oldest. I'm telling him that he's like, you know, you know, Dad. This is going to be really hard. And I'm not looking forward to it. But I know God's going to reward us. So I say yes. He knew. He knew going into it that the Lord rewards those who earnestly seek him. He knew going into it, this trial would turn to gold. He had been through it in our family's life, enough regiments that at this point he knew, okay, this is gonna stink in the flesh, but I know coming out of this, there is gonna be breakthrough and glory, and there's gonna be gold, and so I say yes, right? And whether it's that moment where you're being beheaded for the gospel, or the worst thing is happening to your body for the gospel, in that moment, you know and you can see into heaven, and you're like, no, I know what this means for all of eternity. This trial will be gold. I say yes to the cost of being a disciple of Jesus in this moment. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I will not deny Jesus. I am in no matter what happens to me. This has nothing to do with the circumstances of my life. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Expand my capacity for more in that moment. Man, that Iranian church challenges me so much. Okay, this is so petty compared to what I just shared with the Iranian church. But there was a day where a guy came into the house of prayer when I was in the, in the hood. He walked in off the streets. He was very clearly high. He was a 30-year-old, very strong, big, built, Afri- uh, young African-American man. And, um, I mean, this, this guy, he just had, like, you could see it. Strength was in his genes. Like, strength was in his, in his age, strength was in, like, he works out, he was a strong guy. He walks in, but he's high, and it's, like, nine o'clock in the morning, and not because he's drunk with the Holy Spirit, like, it wasn't the ax diagnosis, and, um, and we have a YWAM team in. Actually, it was the same team with a guy named Ben, and so we're just kind of, like, in our morning prayer set, and he starts, like, sitting down and gets, you know, real close to the girls and, like, leaning in, and so immediately, I'm, like, I'm, like, Papa Bear, I walk up, and I'm like, Carlos, listen. I said, if you want to pray and worship with us this morning, you're more than welcome to say, but you can't do what you're doing. I see what you're doing. You can't be hitting on those girls. He's like, all right, 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 right. And then I walk away, and immediately he walks, walks up, walks over to a different row, and starts, you know, and the girls like, ah. And um, so I walk up and said, Carlos, you need to leave right now. And meanwhile, the person up front is, like, trying to lead worship. It's a massive distraction. And um, so instead of Carlos walking out the back door, he walks toward the front, right? And so I follow him up to the front. And finally, like, I have to put my hand on his shoulder and kind of guide him out the back door. And I'm just trying to be a good father in this moment of the faith, protecting our women, doing what's right, you know? But I have to, like, kind of guide him. And, and then at this point, as, as we're walking back, he's like, Get your hands off me, buddy. Don't touch me. You guys, this is a big thing in the hood. This don't touch me thing, like, you don't touch people. Like, touch is a powerful thing, right? It's like, don't touch me. Get your hands off me. I'm like, all right, Carlos, all right, I just need you to leave. Like, please, please, I'm asking you. You need to leave. And so, but I follow him so he doesn't turn around again. I follow him, and we get to the, to the door where the threshold, where Ben cut kind of through the door open. And um, on the other side is the sidewalk and the street and like loads of people in the morning, and there's a methadone clinic right next to us, which means a bunch of people, bunch of people trying to get off drugs using a different drug. It's so weird. Only Jesus, right? And um, so there's like mobs of people outside our door. We get to the threshold, we step outside, and Carl and I'm at this point I'm on, I'm on a fast again. All my story, you probably think I have never eat. I like eating. <laughs> Right? I really enjoy eating. You just need to know that. Um, but, but a lot of my testimonies, honestly, God moves in fasting. So a lot of my stories ended up being in the of prayer and fasting. So I'm skinny. I'm frail. I'm, you know. And Carlos turns around, and he goes, The Bible says that my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. Poof, poof, poof. Three times right in the chest. Guys, he knocked the wind out of me. I felt it in my back. Something went out. It took me about two weeks. For two weeks, I was like out. I could hardly stand right. I was in deep pain, and uh, until some people prayed for me, <laughs> it's awesome. And and Jesus kind of restored me. But here's what happened, you guys. I took it hard. I was in a lot of pain in that moment. And then Carlos like runs across the street and he's announcing to everybody. He's like, he's calling me like a hater, a bigot, a hypocrite, all this stuff. And then he's like, My house should be called. A-. And then he's hit me with religion. My house should be called a house of prayer for all people. You can't kick me out of the house of prayer. And he's completely high, you know? And I go in, I close the door, the whole neighborhood's like, and I walk in and I sit down, I open my Bible. And the presence of Jesus just comes. (sighs) Probably the strongest I've ever ever felt his presence in my whole life. And I'm just like shaking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And tears are streaming down my face, not because I'm hurting in the inside, but because I'm being blessed in my soul. And Jesus met me. And in just a little, in a little, very minute way, I'm like, okay. Now I know the secret to the persecuted church. Now I know how they can endure. Christ in me, the hope of glory, it's about his presence. And Jesus will never leave someone orphaned in those moments. He comes on strong in those moments.